listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You know, one of the things that um, I enjoyed when our kids were preschool age was we got to go on some field trips, some tours, and I always signed up to go on those because those were always such a blast. And, and so one of the ones when our kids were in preschool, I was able to go on a field trip to a Tim Hortons, and, uh, and we got a behind-the-scenes kind of look of the Tim Hortons restaurant, and some of you who work there or have worked there say, no, that's a big deal. It was awesome because we were able to go in the coolers, but more than that, we were able to go and take the donut-making little machine that, that pumps that cherry or that jelly-filled kind of sauce inside of, you know, your donut, and I got to set this number, and I was able to pump some donuts so full of that red juice or that fake uh, whipped cream kind of stuff, like they were just massive, and it was just awesome, you know, to present that to people or to, I didn't even try eating it because it was just going to be too disgusting, but it was so fun to do that. Then I got to put on one of the headsets, and I got to take the orders at drive through and, you know, the order, you know, the person would come by, and I, I would say, good morning. Uh, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? You know, and, and just have fun with them. And they were, no, it's not McDonald's for Tim Hortons. You know, and, and uh, you know, just some confusion on the behalf of the people ordering. And then I got to load up some sandwiches, some of those BLTs. I'm telling you, some people got blessed with more bacon than they would ever imagine. I was just putting just stack a stack, and they're like, no, not so much. And 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 I'm sure some people thought it was their lucky day. They hit the 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 uh, bacon jackpot. Uh, little wonder I was never allowed to go back there. Um, uh, on any other preschool tour or, or anything of the like. And, you know, but it was kind of fun to go back and have that little kind of you know, behind-the-scenes look of uh, something like that. And I'm sure we've all done that. We've gone maybe on a movie set or maybe you've gone to a factory or, or some kind of a special operation that takes place and you kind of get the, the, the inside look. You get a look behind the curtain and see what exactly is really going on. Well, this morning, we're going to take a little look. We're going to get a look, a behind-the-scenes glimpse behind the curtain of the spiritual world and what happens when we pray and what happens when we don't persist in prayer. We're going to see a spiritual battle that takes place that is even going on right around us. Um, some of the movies that you'll come into here in this theater, you need to wear special glasses in order to see it. And, and if you aren't wearing those special glasses, I know I've tried. I've just thought, hey, I'm going to try to watch a 3D movie with my own eyes. Uh, you get rather dizzy and things get rather blurry rather quickly. Well, if we had special glasses this morning to be able to see the spiritual realm that is going on around us and the battle that is taking place, it would be incredible. We, it is a very real battle. It is a very dynamic battle. And if if we were just to get a glimpse of that battle here this morning, of what is taking place even within this room, around this room, around this theater, over our city, we would be shocked, we would be sobered, and in the way that we would be living our lives, I'm sure there would be drastic changes that we would be making because we would see the battle is real. And one of the great things that the enemy loves to do is to downplay it. Now, we don't want to overplay it because we don't have to go deep into knowing and understanding all aspects of the spiritual battle. The Word of God clearly affirms that there is a spiritual battle that is going on in our world. And it's operating in ways that at, at times we don't even understand or we even can, can fully um, perceive. But look at what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 tells us. And, and this is just a key statement here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we see that there's this battle that is taking place. And now God doesn't reveal everything to us that our curious minds um, would want to know about the spiritual realm. However, God's word reveals everything we need to know. And here in Daniel chapter 10, we get a great reveal, a behind-the-curtains look, so to speak, as to what is really going on in the spiritual realm. And the last three chapters, as, as we've been working through the book of Daniel, we've been going chapter by chapter um, through the verses of, of each one and uh, of these chapters, and, and, and the first six chapters were basically historical accounts of what took place, how we can live lives uh, uh, for God without compromise in a chaotic world. But the last six chapters of this book have to deal with Bible prophecy and things that are yet to come. And so the last three chapters, starting here in chapter 10 that we're going to look at today, would, would really be about the final conflict. 
And where we're at today, we're going to look at chapter 10, which is really a preamble to the vision that we see in chapter 11, where we see the great final conflict take place here on planet Earth. We're going to see God's victory. We're going to see what happens, but we're going to see some dark days that are ahead. But then chapter 12 leaves us with some conclusions and, and some instructions on how we ought to live in light of this. And so this is where we're going. So today we're going to focus in on chapter 10. And so in verse 1, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. Now, he's talking about the vision that we'll see in chapter 11, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. Now, what we come to see in this chapter is that Daniel is very burdened. And we understand that he's burdened because for the last two years, King Cyrus, the, the Medo-Persian Empire who de defeated the, and, and destroyed the Babylonian Empire and was now the new world-ruling empire, was now allowing the Israelites to go home. Their 70 years of captivity was done. They were free to go home. They were able to go back to Israel. They were free to go back and rebuild the great city, the city of God. They would be able to go back and rebuild the walls, the temple, restore the worship of God and yet we find out they're not going back they have the freedom they have the possibility to go back hundreds of thousands of them to go back and yet we see and we overlay this we get this from the book of Ezra that we see the hundreds of thousands that could be returning home to Jerusalem across the entire empire from Babylon but other regions as well we end up seeing that only 42,000 went back. And those that did return of those 42,000, they quickly became discouraged because of the opposition and become, because of the enormity of the task of rebuilding the city, the walls, the temple. And they became discouraged and the work stopped. Why didn't they go back? Why did so few go back? They were offered freedom. They could go back to the place that, that their ancestors were and yet what happened is we see they became satisfied with lesser things. They had become comfortable where they were living. One commentator wrote, he said, they were sufficiently paganized by this time. They were enmeshed in society, in the society in which they lived. They were prosperous. They were raising families. They were absorbed with this life, and life was good where they were at. Why should we go back? They were too involved in their own lives to care about the promised land, too busy to be concerned about restoring the name of Yahweh God in, in, in restoring the worship of God. They were busy. They were burdened. They were concerned with their own wants and their own desires. And so what is Daniel doing? He is concerned. He is burdened. And he is praying. And he's saying, oh God, what do we do now? Oh God, would you work in this situation? He acknowledges that he... It doesn't know what to do, and so he turns his heart towards God. And so here we start to get a glimpse. We see the, the passion. We see the desire, the longing, the burden on his heart, and so we get a response here, we, or we get a little glimpse here, that, and, and we understand from the word of God, and this is so cool, and this gives us so much hope, that God responds earnestly. He responds right away, immediately, to earnest prayer. Look at it in verse 2. It says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for, three, for the full three weeks. And so what's he doing here? He's burdened. And so what is he doing? He's, he's praying, he's fasting, he's setting aside things that he's come to enjoy in life in order to seek after God in an all-out way, in a way of desperation. It says, for 21 days, he says, I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine. Now, what we also understand is the dates of this was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a time where they would celebrate, a time that was, was to be a time of joy and celebration, but he's not filled with joy. He's filled with sadness and concern for what is going on. Here's something else we see in this is he's fasting. He's just fasting from the delicacies. Now, not all fasts it ha have to be a complete fast from food. Sometimes there's a partial fast. And here we see that Daniel said, 
no delicacies, and, and that would have been some of the fancy breads and some of the fancy kind of food that they would eat as well as meat. And so from this, we also see that he, the Daniel diet that we talked about in, in Daniel chapter 1 when he refused the king's wine and the king's meat because that had all been offered to idols, it, we see that over the years something changed, that perhaps he was now able to have wine and meat that was no longer offered to pagan gods. And so he's enjoying meat, he's enjoying the wine, but not for this season. During this season of celebration, he's, he's, he, he says, I ate no delicacies. Delicacies. I ate no wine or drank no wine. And, and, and so we see that some fasting can be shorter days of, of fasting, a, a day, two, three, four, five days of fasting can be without food, but also there can be longer fasts that go on that have a partial uh, amount of food. And, and it's, it's keeping away, it's, it's um, cutting out certain items in order to focus our attention further on God. And this was a season, though, of celebration for his people and, and those around him, and yet he wasn't celebrating. And it goes on to say, nor did I anoint myself, as we see here. He didn't use the oils and the lotions that were commonly used in those days. Oils and lotions that would hydrate the skin because they lived in a very desert-like area. Um, oils and lotions that would make them smell good. And oftentimes these were used as a symbol of social interaction, which is sometimes a good thing, right? When someone smells good and you're socializing with them as opposed to smelling not so good. And so he didn't even, he's like, I'm not putting on deodorant. I'm not putting on any aftershave. I'm not putting on any essential oils. I'm not putting on anything. I am just, I am going, I'm cutting out meat. I'm cutting out these delicacies, no wine, no nothing. I'm not even, he's, he's going into 21 days where he is just seeking God. And I wonder today, what are the burdens on your heart today? What are the longings? Is it to be set free from the power of sin in your life? Things like fear and anxiety have such an overweighted amount of time and energy in your mind. Is it a longing, a burden to see a loved one saved? To see the sick healed? for a prodigal to come home, to come back to the Lord? Is there a longing and a burden on your heart for revival? Is there a longing and a burden in your heart for those that are around you in our neighborhoods, for our city? I can't help but to think if Daniel was alive today, what would be the longing and burden on his heart as he looked at us here in North America, here at Harvest Kelowna even today? What would he see by spending some time with us? Would he even be more burdened for us today than he was even for his own people thousands of years ago? Would he see that the people of God today, the people who call him by name, have become satisfied and comfortable with lesser things? That we have a form of spirituality, a form of godliness, but there's really no power. We sing about it, we talk about it, but we're not experiencing it in our own lives. Would he see that we've become more, that God has become more of just a means to an end to accomplish our goals and our plans and our hopes and our desires? And if he doesn't, we just kind of lay off of the God train for a while or maybe for the rest of our lives. Would he see that we are more concerned about the look and the shape of our bodies more than the condition of our heart before him? You know, we can become so consumed with all of the healthy eating and all of these things that we put into our bodies and yet our minds and our souls are filled with garbage. And yet we can be so consumed with secondary items and matters. Would he see that we're more concerned about our image and our reputation, what others think about us rather than what God knows is in our heart? Would he be more concerned about us growing our bank accounts or, or, or our prosperity in one way or another rather than growing the kingdom of God? Would he observe that we are chasing after good things, but those good things have become God things, and they've become idols in our lives, that we're chasing after things that steal our time and our affection away from God, the pursuit and intimacy with Christ that is available and that he so desires? You see, there's a battle there's a battle going on and we're getting lulled into complacency so easily. The spiritual forces are at work to keep us as far away from an intimate and a close and a dynamic and a powerful relationship with God that God's word promises. As we were singing a little earlier, all the promises, they're yes and amen. 
a promise for victory, a promise for peace, a promise for joy, a promise to see lost ones saved, a promise to see revival in our land. And yet, we become happy and satisfied with lesser things. Last summer, Nate and I, our son, we went out on Okanagan Lake on those nice little floaty things, our style of a boat life. And, uh, and, and we paddled out from Gyro Beach, and it was a nice calm look at the waters hardly moving, and we were just laying around for the longest time. And I think I even dozed a little bit. It was just so relaxing. And, and I know a lot of you right now are looking at my Jesus feet and looking, ew, those are quite the toes. Uh, anyways, don't look at that. Listen to the story. And so as, as we're laying there and, and just enjoying it, all of a sudden, it was like, Nate, what time is it? And oh. Have we ever drifted? Wow, we didn't think we drifted this far. And we had a lot of hand paddling to do in order to get back. And it was a lot of work. And it was like, wow, I didn't think that we were moving that fast. It just seemed like things were pretty calm and, you know, pretty peaceful, pretty easy out here. And, and, and we had a lot of work to get back. That's the same thing that happens to our souls. That's the same things that happens to our minds. We, we, we just set out to kind of enjoy life. And, and nothing wrong with enjoying life. But one of the dangers is we get complacent and we become lazy. And it's a slow fade or slow drift away from the Lord. And it happens so slowly. And there is an organized plan by the enemy to see that drift become further and further away. An example for this, I mean, take Netflix, for example. You say, what are you talking about Netflix? I suppose you're going to tell us to cancel your subscription. No, I'm not going to tell you to do that, but I'm going to tell you to be awfully careful. There's a plan behind the scenes to steal your time. Look at this article I came across. You know what their number one competitor is? It's not Amazon. It's not video games or any other platform. It's sleep. They don't want you to sleep, and they want to be able to consume more of your time. Listen to what their CEO uh, has to say. He says, there's only a certain number of hours in the day. And listen, and Netflix's goal is to occupy those moments and deliver the utmost joy to the consumer during that opportunity. Joy? Really? I mean, he's using the word joy in this? They want to give you joy when you spend 13 or 14 hours doing a little binge watching? And just think, it, anyways, it's just crazy. I mean, they, they're actually even changing, wanting to change the term from binge watching to binge racing. And, and they're actually turning it into a sport. Watch, it'll be in the Olympics next, you know. And, and seriously, they are. They're wanting to set up a competition that they're going to release a series, and then you set yourself to race with other people around the world in order to see who can watch that series the fastest, the quickest, without, I guess, falling asleep. I don't know what kind of parameters they're going to put in there. I don't know if you, you know, they send out toothpicks to keep your eyelids open or just what. But, but this is it. There's this undermining kind of work to, to get you to, to, to stay there and, and to focus in on these things and and you just see there is an attempt there is an attempt by advertisers by markets like this for our time for our important precious time you just think of how many hours that we can spend on useless things and how much time do we even spend in the Word of God? How much time do we spend with the people of God? We're too busy to pray. We're too busy to go to Bible studies. And we got too much on the go. And yet we can devote hour after hour to shopping or to going uh, online to, to, for these kind of platforms or, or various vices, whatever it might be. And we're all guilty of it. And I trust that this morning we would look at our lives and say, okay, are there areas where there's this drift going on where I need to right the ship? There's things we said we'd never do or shows we'd never watch and next thing you know, because so-and-so is and because this person is the next thing we're doing and we're filling our minds with all kinds of filth rather than the truth from the word of God. It's a slow fade. It's a slow drift. Then I wonder, are there any Daniels in our day today? Anyone sick and tired of being sick and tired? People who are willing to stand up and, 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 or, or to get low and pray and to seek God do I want to be a Daniel? Do I want to be in the Daniel band today? Men and women of God who are ready to do whatever it takes. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're sick and tired of the church being sick and tired here in North America and ready to say, hey, I'm ready to do whatever it takes. I pray that today God would be moving among us and, and, and reminding us of these truths, convicting us where need be, and there would be a call in our lives to right the ship, to, to stop the drift, and to find our way back.
however much paddling and how much confessing and what things, changes we need to make. And so we see that Daniel here, he's moved to prayer because of this burden that he has. He's fasting, he's praying for 21 days, longing for people to be right with God. Parents, is there a longing in your heart for your children? Are they doing okay? So we're just like, oh, thank you, God. Are we still storming? We know that the attacks are coming against our children. Or maybe our kids aren't doing well, and we need to be continuing to pray and to, to, to seek God, that God would work in their lives and not give up. Daniel went on this prayer fast for 21 days. There's some real desperation going on when this happens. This is the kind of hard attitude that gets a response from God. And, and he's going to get a response, we're going to see. And, and look at what it says in verse 12. The last part of verse 12, if you look there, he says, For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. He had an angel come, and we'll see that in a little bit. And the very moment he started praying... The angel responded, heaven was moved by his prayers. And we saw last week in chapter 9, Daniel was calling out to God. And, and what happened immediately is he's calling out to God with a broken heart, a contrite heart before God. What happens right away? We see Gabriel is there, the, the angel there to, to minister to him and to give him an important message. From the moment you prayed, it says in verse 9, God heard and I was sent. You know, when you have something like this, two chapters in a row in verse 9, or chapter 9, we see that as Daniel prayed, heaven responded, boom, immediately. Here in chapter 10, again, just backing it up that when we pray, boom, heaven responds, immediately it happens. Do you think there's a bit of a message here for us when we get it in two chapters back to back? I think so. And that message is, is that when we pray, heaven responds. Heaven is moved when we pray. Yeah, I have some questions about that. Yeah, we'll get to that. But what kind of prayers does God hear? As we talked last week, as we spent time in our prayer night this past Wednesday night, and there's prayer sheets available for you at the back table if you'd like one um, to do on your own. You weren't able to be there. Psalm 51, it is a broken and a contrite heart. It says God will not despise. When we come to God with a brokenness, a contrite, a, a humble heart before him. He says he won't, he's not going to deny someone praying with a broken and a contrite heart. And last week we even talked about Jeremiah 29, 13. God says that when you seek me and you will find me when you seek me with what? Half your heart? Or what is it? With all your heart. When we seek him with all of our hearts, with everything we're going for him, he says, I will be found. You will find me. You will find the answers. Isaiah 66, it says, but this is the one in whom I look. He is he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is who God looks upon. This is who God answers in prayer. Oh, loved ones, I, I pray that indeed we would be sick and tired of being sick and tired and say, God, I want more of you. I want to experience your power, your victory. Love to see these situations healed in my head, in my mind, in my body. Oh, these situations in my family. Oh, God, would you heal them? Would you touch them? And, and God can answer. We see that in desperation that God answers and his answers are immediate. Heaven responds right away to our prayers. For 21 days, though, you see Daniel's praying. People who would say, oh, that we would be people that would be men and women and young people and children of prayer. I love this little quote I saw on Instagram this past week. I refuse to gain the world and lose my soul. That we would be those kind of people that we would see that the drift, the temptation to, to move away, to see our, our souls, our affections be taken by other things and oh, that we would be people who would refuse to gain the world and to lose our souls. Oh, that God would do a work in and through us, seeking God's heart above all things. And so for 21 days, Daniel is pressing in. He's praying. Heaven's responding, we find out. But look at this in verse 4. It says, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz was, from Euphaz was uh, around the waist. 
His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the man who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Now, most Bible scholars believe that this wasn't an angel, that this was actually a Christophany, it is called, or sometimes it will be called a theophany, which is an appearance of Jesus Christ. This is the pre-incarnate, this is Jesus Christ, second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, before he came to earth and took on human flesh. Interestingly, and how we know this is that this description here, and if you write down Revelation chapter 1 and you look at that afterwards, you can take in this explanation, this description of this mighty spiritual giant, the Lord Jesus, who appears here to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10, and you overlay that with Revelation chapter 1. There in Revelation chapter 1, you see them almost identical in the description. And, and as you do that, look in Revelation chapter 1, he even identifies himself as Jesus. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. He's Christ. And what an experience Daniel has as he's calling out to God, as he's praying to heaven. On the 21st day, heaven comes down, literally. Jesus comes And look at, this is a response to his prayers. And look at this description. He's clothed in linen, we see. This this speaks of priestly garments, speaking of God's holiness. The belt of gold he has, which is the finest metal, which speaks of God's sovereignty. His body was, was like that of beryl. And you think, what's beryl? Not shaped like a beryl, but beryl, which is B-E-R-Y-L, which is also sometimes translated or referred to as crystallite, which is a beautiful, beautiful, precious gem, referring to God's glory and his majesty. His face was like lightning. Speaking of God's power, his omnipotence, his eyes were like flaming torches. You ever have that person who can just look right at you and it's like they're looking right through you? Well, this is the description we have here, like flaming torches. And God cannot look just right through you. He looks right in you and he knows. And this speaks of God's knowledge, his omniscience. His arms and his legs like polished bronze speaks of his judgment. His voice like the multitude, which is loud. Have you ever been in a crowd of people? I've been probably some of the largest crowd I was at was when Nate and I went to a Seattle Seahawks football game. Seventy-some thousand screaming crazy fans. And it was so loud at, at certain times. And his voice was like the multitudes. It was much louder than what 70,000 jacked up on beer and crazy uh, face-painted up Seattle Seahawks fans could ever make. What a sight this would have been. His voice, it was like the multitude. It was loud. What a sight. What majesty. What power. And what, what happened to Daniel when he saw this? He was on the ground. He was overwhelmed. He was undone. That was, that's the response that, that he had when Jesus showed up in his life when he showed up after that 21 days of prayer. And you know what, folks? You will one day be ready. Smelling salt time, wake up. You and I will one day have the same experience. This will happen to every one of us here in this room. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you believe, where you're at in in your whole faith system or, or where you're at with God. All of us one day will have an experience Very, very similar to this. And you know what will happen when we see the face of Jesus, when we see the glory of God revealed to us? We will be down on all fours. We'll be humbled. We will be weakened. We'll be amazed. And how do I know that? Philippians 10. Philippians chapter 10, it says, One day, one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. Meaning those who don't even believe will be on their knees declaring him the one true God as we were declaring here a few moments ago. And everyone will bow before him either as Savior, as Lord, or as judge as he condemns them to hell for eternity. 
Is he your savior today? If you were to see him today, if he was to show up in your life, or if your life suddenly came to an end today, would he be your savior or would he be your judge? Jesus Christ died for us so he would be our savior. And even though we deserve to die, even though we deserve to die because of our sins and be eternally separated from him, he took, he came to this earth and he took the wrath of God. He was the perfect spotless sacrifice. He did nothing wrong and yet he took our sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven and because of that everything changes. And that's where the word of God declares, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you need to do that if you've never done that. If not, Jesus Christ will be one day your judge. And that will be a bad day. The evidence of that decision being real, you say, well, I've prayed a prayer. The evidence of that decision being real, real over time will be the recognition of spiritual fruit, that there's a growth in your spiritual life. I heard it described recently, and I loved it, and I've shared it with a number of people. It's from Pastor Robbie in Oakville. The Christian life will be one like a yo-yo, going, going, playing with a yo-yo, going up the stairs. You're making progress, but there's the ups and downs of the yo-yo, but you're making progress going up the stairs. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be valleys. There's going to be difficulties, and that's going to happen. But over the long period of time, there's progress. And we're becoming more and more like Christ, growing day by day. And yes, I said there'll be difficult seasons, but we find our way back. We find our way back to God. Do you know him today? That is of utmost importance. So first of all, what we see here is that God responds immediately to earnest prayer. But second of all, we see answers can be delayed by demonic opposition. Our answers can be delayed. Look at verse 10, and it says, And behold, a hand touched me. This is believed to be an angel now at this point, that, that he had this uh, Christophany take place, and now an angel has come. And so his hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved Understand the words I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. I wonder if Daniel was like, really? You came right away? You heard my word? Like, did you get on the wrong plane? I mean, did you miss a flight? I mean, it took you 21 days. Like last time, remember, previous chapter, I prayed, boom, Gabriel was here. So now, 21 days, where were you? What's going on? You know, what was the delay for? I mean, did you, you know, stop and have a little siesta somewhere, you know, over on another planet or whatever it might be? This time it's taken three weeks. Why did it take three weeks? What's going on? Now, folks, there can be delays in our prayers. And there's various reasons why there's these delays, and we're going to see one of those reasons here in this passage. Now, sometimes those delays are because God is working on us. God's refining us. He's changing us. He's teaching us patience. He's teaching us to learn to trust and rely on him. And so that's why when we, we pray, our answers sometimes, it's, it's wait. And we're still waiting, and, and we're trusting God. And so he's working on us, and so delays can be used to grow our faith. But another very real possibility as to why our prayers are, the answers to our prayers are delayed and we're not hearing from God, we get a glimpse here in this passage. Look at verse 13. It says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision that is yet to come. So Daniel, I came, I came right away. God told me, get down there, go see Daniel, go give him a word. I have a word for Daniel, go. But I was hindered. I was in a fight. I was in a battle. I was facing resistance. And this is where we see the spiritual war that is taking place. And folks, this is where it gets serious. And we need to, to realize the seriousness of the battle that is going on all around us. This is the seriousness about praying and seeing how our prayers have a direct impact in the spiritual realm. You see, there's no such thing as uncontested spiritual ground. The moment you start making a move towards God and God is doing a new work, a fresh work in your life, expect the opposition to come. Sometimes it will happen ahead of time, but more than likely it happens afterwards. People who desire to get baptized upon 
confession of their faith, what we believe here, that when you, you're saved, you, you demonstrate that through baptism. One of the greatest things the enemy loves to do is to try to see that not happen. He doesn't want to see that person put that stake in the ground and declare their allegiance to Jesus Christ. But over and over again, when we get serious about following God, the enemy gets serious about attacking and resisting. And this is part of the spiritual battle that's taking place. Daniel's praying. The enemy, the prince of Persia, is fighting, is resisting. The prince of Persia isn't a, a, a fleshly prince. He's not the, the king's son, the king of Persia's son. He's No, it's a supernatural being, a fallen angel, we'll see here in a moment. One that opposes God and his angels. And the prince of Persia is, is over a governing authority in the spiritual realm. And the Bible teaches that there are territorial spirits. We see it here in this passage. Various territorial spirits over various regions of the world. They have different rankings. They have different powers and different personalities. And the power is real. Now, there's much to be said about the spiritual realm that God's word teaches us about. But again, once again, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot that we need to know, but there's a lot we don't need to know. And people, authors, movie folks will at times try to fill in some of those spots uh, that we don't know. But the Bible tells us everything we need to know about the spiritual realm. Here's a quick Bible study. I encourage you to write down some of these passages here that are on the screen. Hebrews 12:22 and other places in scripture tells us that God at creation created a innumerable number of angels. Myriad upon myriad of angels God created. But we also see in the Bible that there are three archangels, three overseeing angels that were also created with different responsibilities. There's, there's Michael, the archangel that we see here that ends up coming to, to Daniel's rescue. But there's also Gabriel, the messenger angel that we saw last week, who also came to announce the birth of Christ to Mary. But then there's also the archangel Lucifer, described in Ezekiel 28, who was given the responsibility of worship, of responsibility of the worship of God in heaven. But when you read Isaiah 14, we see, this is where we see that he got the idea in his mind that he wanted some of that worship, that he wanted the worship, he was equal to God, and so he rebelled. And God struck him down. Revelation 12 says that with that, he took a third of, his, of the angels with him, and they became demonic hosts. And just as our doctrinal statement, you'll find this on our website, as our doctrinal statement says here at Harvest, that to this day, Satan leads his de demonic host in continual attack upon the people and purposes of God. Folks, this angels and demon stuff is real. And one of the things that we can do, I mean, one of the things that they do is that they hinder our prayers. We see it here in this passage. And as we see, Daniel is praying on day one, an angel is dispatched, the answer is coming, but it's delayed because of what's going on here. There is a battle, there is a war raging that is taking place, and we see that the angel is hindered here. But here I encourage you to write this down, but God's power prevails through persistent prayer. As Daniel persisted, as he kept going, reinforcements on day 21 were called in, Michael, the warrior angel, he came in, he was busy off fighting somewhere else, and we know that, that, that they're busy un, until the day that the final victory is had by Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he, he and the other angels will continue to keep fighting. And when a Michael, the chief prince, came, the mighty warrior came, he helped in the battle, and this angel was able to come and deliver the message. You see, folks, listen up. Our prayers matter. Persistent prayer matters. The prayers of God's people bring about spiritual victory, and the lack of our prayers bring about spiritual defeat. We see this go hand in hand. Our prayers make a difference. Your prayers matter. And as we talked about on last week and then in our prayer night, that when we are praying with a broken and a contrite heart before God, he hears, he listens, he responds. Here's some of the other ways, though, that we see that demonic activity uh, we see in the Bible. This is just a, a number of things. There, there's others that we could also come up with. But first of, first of all, a delay. We see delay and hindrance to our prayers. We've already talked about that. Um, demons will deceive through false teaching. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, encourage you to read that. The doctrine of demons, that, that there are those that are, are, are giving you the tickling ear kind of things. And it's the doctrine of demons that they're teaching, getting you away from the truth of the word of God. This is why our teaching, this is why our lives, our churches must be rooted in the word of God. Thirdly, another way that demon activities in the world today is through tempting, deceiving God's people. 
in, in Matthew chapter 16. Encourage you to read that passage. Be writing down these passages and study them on your own. As, as you'll see here that, that even Jesus turned to, to his own disciple, Peter, and he called him Satan. He says, what's going on with you? He says, Satan, get behind me. Satan had infiltrated the mind of Peter to be able to say some things to Jesus to try to get him to not go through with the cross. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, that's not you, Peter. That's Satan. Satan, get out. Satan, get lost. Because of what was taking place here, and Jesus has that authority. In Matthew chapter 4, we see even Jesus was tempted by the devil himself. If Jesus could be tempted, if Peter could be tempted, you and I can be tempted. We can be deceived. What we think is, at times, um, our thoughts, our ideas, and that, the enemy can put those in our minds, and we have to be so careful. This is why it's so important and we take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10.4, um, 10, encourage you to write that one down, 2 Corinthians 10.4. Another way is through open doors. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, it says, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. What are you talking about a foothold? And, and he's talking about anger here in this situation, but folks understand this, that anytime we allow a negative or a sinful thought or emotion to take root in our minds that we don't let go of it, we don't forgive, we don't ask God's cleansing in that, that area can become a foothold which will lead to a stronghold in our lives. And here the example of anger is used, but it can also be used for lust or worry or lies or whatever it might be. Any kind of negative emotion, anything that is not true, whatever is not lovely, whatever is not of good report, any of those kind of things that we allow to have a foothold in our life, the enemy will turn that into a stronghold and harder for us to get out of. We need to be so careful. That's why we need to be careful who we're talking to and what we're talking about. We need to be careful what we're watching, what we're reading, games that you may be playing. I encourage you, stay far away from anything that has to do with demonic power, whether it's movies or books or anything like that. Why give him a foothold in your mind? Parents, be the guardians in this area. Be careful. You're not creating a foothold for your children or foothold in what you're watching and seeing and it's desensitizing you to the spiritual war and the battle that is real out there. We can open ourselves up to demonic influence and power and we don't even at times realize that we have to be so careful. This is why we're lining things up with the word of God. This is why we spend time in worship and adoration of our God. You know how you can be going along, I don't know if any of you are like this, you can be just having a great day. Things are going just like it's, it's sunny, it's beautiful, you know, maybe you're on vacation or it's your day off or just a good day at work or whatever, and all of a sudden, a thought comes into your mind and the day is turned upside down and you can't let it go. It's like the hamster on the wheel. It just starts going and going and going and won't it ever stop? Maybe it's a past sin. Maybe it's a hurt, an offense, something from the past. Maybe it's all of a sudden a fear about the future and all of a sudden your mind is going crazy. Or maybe it's all of a sudden you're going along and there's just this wicked temptation to sin. You ever have that? Sin in thought, in deed. Where did that come from? That's from the evil one. Infiltrating our thoughts and our minds, trying to get us to fall into areas of sin and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with fear, with despair, the hamster on the, on the wheel going like crazy. I'll tell you, there's a battle going on in those times in our lives, a, a battle ultimately for our soul and for the glory of God. But folks, I want to tell you there's good news. Just as the word declares that this is a real fight that is going on, and God's word declares to us, and we'll see in the last two chapters here in this book, that God's kingdom ultimately wins. Wants you to know that whatever you are facing, whatever fear, whatever sin, whatever addiction, whatever problem it is, whatever fear in the future, or, or something from the past, that you can be set free, that there is power and there is victory through Jesus Christ for you in that situation. That is possible and it is available through Christ. We can prevail. We can have the victory, not in our own strength and our power, but through Jesus. We ought not to obsess or be fearful about Satan and his power if we are in Christ. You have nothing to fear if you're in Christ because you are covered by his power, by the blood of Christ. If you're not in Christ, then you have much to fear. You do. Because we need to remember as believers in Christ, 1 John 4, where it says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We must remember that. This past week, I had a, 
young visitor in my office, he wanted to come by and try on some armor that um, some friends gave to me years ago. They gave me a partial armor of, uh, partial suit of the armor of God. And you'll see who the little guy is here. Uh, there he is, Elias. That was pretty awesome. He came, in and came up and said, can I try on your armor? I'm like, for sure, it won't fit me. Well, the helmet might, but, you know, none of the rest. And, and, uh, and these were given as gifts as a reminder to me about the armor of God that we are to place on. But last week, my folks stopped by my office as well as they were visiting last week. And my mom saw and she said, there's no belt of truth. There's no belt of truth. You need the belt of truth. You need the girdle of truth. The girdle holds everything together. And there's also another, some other important parts that are missing there. And yet, folks, daily we need to go into the battle that we face, into the spiritual battle, and put on the armor of God. Daily we need to be ready, battle ready. And how do we do that? Look at what it says here in Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, stand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so it's daily putting on the armor of God. And as we do this, as we, number three, as we move into the last point here in our message is persistence in prayer is exhausting work. The great thing is, is, as we've seen previously, God responds immediately to earnest prayer. But our prayers can be delayed because of satanic, demonic opposition. And yet, as we persevere, as we put on the armor, as we're battle ready, we'll see that God shows up and God answers. And God comes to Daniel and reveals much to him. But persistence in prayer is exhausting work, and that's why so many of us quit. This is why so many of us don't persist because it's exhausting, it's tiring. Look at in verse 15, it says, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and it was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord, for now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Folks, doing the work of God is tiresome. After 21 days, fasting, praying, seeking God, and now this powerful example or this powerful experience that Daniel has, he's weak, he's worn out, he's tired. Persistence in prayer, persistence in serving the Lord, persistence in fighting off sin in our lives, it's tiresome and it can be weary work. And yet, look at what happens in verse 18. He says, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Loved ones, remember, if you're in Christ, that same message that Daniel was given is a message for each one of us here today. You are greatly loved. You are greatly loved by our God. You have no reason to fear because God says, I've got this. Trust me, I've got this. And receive the peace and the strength and the courage that God offers over your life, over this situation. And he goes on to say, Daniel, be strong, be of good courage. And look, and it says, and as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Persistent prayer and serving the Lord is exhausting. However, strength returns in extra measure. We see this here in the life of Daniel. As he spends this time and allows, has this intimacy with the Lord, he is strengthened by one of his angels. The angel comes and ministers to Daniel, giving him new strength, just as the way that the angels came and ministered to Jesus in the garden. Jesus will come and he will minister to his children today through his mighty angels. Whether it's through his word or whether it's just through a peaceful, calm assurance that as you are praying and others are praying, there's all of a sudden there's a peace. Knowing God's got this. God's got this. 
And we see that he then is ready to give Daniel a vision of what is yet to come. Reminding Daniel, God will ultimately prevail. And folks, as we believe in Christ, as we follow him, we believe he's sovereign, he's in control, he will ultimately prevail. Or the situations that we're facing, he will prevail, he will be glorified. As we continue to faithfully serve and as we faithfully call out to him and trust him. And this is where Daniel is strengthened. You know, so oftentimes we think that our strength, our strength will come by a good nap. All I need is a good nap or a long vacation or my strength, my power will come through a good night's sleep and then some power shakes to start the day or partways through the day or through healthy eating and all these different things. Yeah, there's a degree of strength that will come from that, but spiritual strength and lasting strength comes by intimate times with the Lord, spending times in the Word, spending times in worship, not just a little quick list, yep, okay, little Devo here today, yeah, it's done, but spending time leaning into the Lord, allowing Him to speak, and in those times He speaks and He ministers and He refreshes and He brings strength to our weary lives and conditions that we're facing. I like this quote that I read this past week. It says, there are times that we are stripped of our strength that he may become our strength. This is where Daniel was. After 21 days, he was stripped of his strength. After this incredible encounter, he was weak. He was on the ground. There was nothing left. But this is a place that God wants us. He says, it's kind of like he, he says, now I got you where I want you. Now let me empower you. Let me fill you again with my spirit. May it give you the power and the strength to tackle whatever it is that you are facing this day. Daniel was tired. He was weary. He was burdened. He was confused. But he left that time hopeful and faith-filled and ultimately strengthened. I wonder this morning, what's the burden on your heart today? What are you longing for? If God could touch a certain situation in your life right now, what would it be? Do you have that? Maybe it's a certain person, situation in your mind or a situation that you're facing in relationships or whatever it might be. What is that burden? What are you longing to see God do? Are you willing to seek God in this matter and persist? You see, God has given us the power and the victory over the enemy. And that power comes through the word of God. It comes through the spirit of God and also the people of God. And we need all of those involved in our lives. We need all of these situations, all these people and all these opportunities involved in our lives. Are our lives marked with an intimacy with God? Are our lives marked with an apathy towards him? We know him. We've made a decision for Christ, but do we actually delight in him? Are we pursuing him? Or are you settling for fast food Christianity? I was just thinking about that even this morning, how quick and easy fast food is, right? You can just drive through, load up, and take off. But you leave relatively unfulfilled, don't you? Not necessarily, may, may fill the gap, gap for the short term, but long-term diet of that, not good. And we settled for fast food over the rich and the fulfilling meat and truths of the word of God that can fill us and empower us and strengthen us. We do the quick fix rather than what takes longer oftentimes in our lives in the seeking after God. Are you weary today? Do you need to be strengthened? I encourage you to pour your heart out to him today. He'll meet you.